set. Scene one, take ten, marker. From the studio of the Modern School of Film, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, our own bag of hammers. Singer, songwriter, artist, Phil Elverum was with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you from the Modern School of Film. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film, so that works out. <laughs> with you four times a month, www.murmurradio.com. You can go there for the episodes. You can also go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Download us. Subscribe to us. Yeah, man. It's all happening. Social handles at MSF Murmur. You can email me directly, Murmur Radio, M U R M U R Radio at gmail.com. If you send me an idea, I will match your idea with a guest and I will give you full credit. I will say it was your brilliant idea. I will match it with a guest. Maybe bring you on the show. Wouldn't that be cool? You could join me. Murmur Radio, every week. Today on the show, Phil Elverum. Some of you may know Phil as Mount Erie. He also had a project called The Microphones that ran for about six years, seven years, late 90s, early 2000. He's an amazing guy, fascinating guy. And uh, today I want to talk to him. When I first invited him on the show, he was about to go on tour, and I thought that was a kind of interesting opportunity to do the reverse of what I normally do. And what I normally do is I, I talk to guests, not from the U.S., about touring U.S. and their impressions. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of reverse that. Now, Phil will always add unique molecules to that, and I'll talk about some of the more recent unique, unique molecules, if you don't already know. But I thought it would be an interesting way to reverse this polarity. So Phil said, well, let me go on tour a little bit. He did a brief tour of parts of Europe and the UK. And when I come back, we can chat. So that's today. He's back. So we're going to chat with Phil today. This word tour is always interesting to me because, you know, the old dictum, be a traveler, not a tourist. 
you know, we always make fun of people for being tourists, but bands go on tour and no one makes fun of musicians. I mean, come on. I want to be a musician. It's too cool. But so we use it in a pejorative or a condescending manner, but we also use it as a kind of scientific piece when musicians travel. You know, travel does an interesting thing. As you know, <laughs> they change us. I mean, they change things. I always found, found past tense, they, they, they were great tests of relationships, friendships, road trips, marriages. Not that I would have experience in the marriage department, but, you know, I've been on, on trips with uh, intimates and, you know, that can either solidify or deconstruct or a relationship. Voyage to Italy, the great Rossellini film. It's fascinating <laughs> sort of biography or a documentary on that. Anywho, um, so travel does really wonderful and fascinating and sometimes really sad and, and uh, extreme things to us. I also find it interesting geography as a, as a bomb, as a cure, this idea of geographic cures. Is there such a thing, you know, a lot of times in, or times at times of stress, you know, we'll escape, jump in the car, maybe go drive, blow off steam. But also, you know, sometimes people leave cities, continents, countries as a cure. So this idea of geography, starting anew, resetting, rebooting. As an artist, I, I would only imagine as a musician that it, that touring is a sort of unique tabula rasa to the extreme, so much so that I wonder how much of the artifact of life an artist picks up because they're, you know, traveling is such a unique form of social calibration. It's not like you or I would travel as such. As I said, some things are, you, you know, evergreen, this idea of traveling in, in one's own personal meditative way. I just find it interesting also, I love traveling. One of the things I love about traveling is the socialization, you know, sometimes, and I'm living in a small town now, and we're near a small town now, and I always think sometimes people living in small towns, traveling is, a, is a social, is social, is being social. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people are more social on vacation. It really is, it can be a mask or it could be something that is lifted when we travel. We don't have the same relationship to reputation. We don't have the same relationship to our past. It's, it's uber present tense. And I think that's another part of it that I find interesting when I travel. So it'll be cool to talk to Phil. Phil slash Mount Erie if you don't know the story, I'll, I'll uh, condense it, even though it feels so wrong to condense it because it's so beautiful and sad and romantic and sad and tragic and sad and sad and sad. In 2015, his wife, Genevieve, was um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, inoperable, late stages. And she passed a year later, 2016, there, Phil and Genevieve was a graphic artist, but also a musician. Phil took her instruments after her passing and made an incredible album. One of the most difficult albums I've ever attempted to get through, and I have gotten through it, and it's rewarding if you can get through it. The album is called A Crow Looked at Me, and it's very raw and not raw, and the not raw is the raw. 
when when his wife passed, actually, if you look at some of the history footprints of Phil, they thought of leaving. Well, he thought of leaving with his daughter and resetting and recalibrating. He actually went on a trip with his daughter, and they spread Genevieve's ashes in a place where Genevieve and, and Phil had thought of moving. So the this idea of travel, I would imagine, has a very direct marking of Phil's recent history. And, and everyone has a relationship to travel, of course, or the lack of travel. And the lack of travel is also a relationship to travel. But Phil's is very raw. We see how much we can get into it, but not put that front and center because I, I it's not that I don't want to, but it's that th- that's not the purpose of today. And a lot of it's on record. And I want to look at travel in a different way with Phil. I know that he lives in a very remote part of the world, Anacortes, Washington, technically Washington, very close to the Canadian border. And Phil has had dalliances and wanderlust dreams of colder pastures by and by. Talk to him about that. Talk to him about his recent relationship to traveling. Talk about uh, his life and parenting in a way versus vis-a-vis traveling. I think American young people in America are not as advanced in the species of traveling as many. I, I you know, I think traveling in the U.S. is unique, and we'll talk about that with Phil. It's not, it's not that it's not easy, but some of the more facile ways one can travel overseas, like train and plane, are more effective and or cost cost ineffective and expensive. So we'll talk about that traveling, but it's not really about the nuts and bolts in traveling, and it's not about the nuts and bolts of what Phil has gone through very much on record, very candidly over the next over the last few years, but it's about his recent travels, you know, his ideas of travels. He relocated actually to Norway for a time. His surname is, or if you look up Phil online, his surname is E-L-V-E-R-U-M, Elverum. But actually, I believe the original spelling has only one E, so it would be E-L-V-R-U-M, and he changed it because there's a town in Norway with the spelling uh, without the E, so he added an E. He spent time in Norway, basically. We'll talk to him about that. Talk to him about more, and and we can all listen. Today on the show, Phil Elverum. Now this. Can I help you, lady? No, you can't help me. No one can help me. I've tried driving with my lights on. I've tried sounding my horn. I scream out the window. I, I roll the window down and bang on the side of the door and play bumbling enemy real loud. I have prayed to St. Francis of Assisi, St. Christopher too. What the heck? I've tried everything a person could do and still every week I plow into at least one deer. I have hit 13 deer in seven weeks driving down this road, mister. And I have to drive down this road every day, 40 miles back and forth to work. I have to drive to work and I have to drive home. Where do they come from? And I love deer! 
I'm going down to the Greyhound station. Gonna buy a ticket to ride. I'm gonna find that lady with two or three kids and sit down by her side. A ride till the sun comes up and down around about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat. Sing the song for the people to meet and get along with it all. Where the people say y'all. I sing a song with a friend. Change the shape that I'm in and get back in the game and start playing again. I'd like to stay, but I might have to go to start over again. I might go back down to Texas or go to somewhere that I've never been and get up in the morning and go out at night and I won't have to go home. Get used to being alone. Change the words to this song and start singing again. Questions that I already know. I could build me a castle with memories just to have somewhere to go. Count the days and the nights that it takes to get back in the saddle again. Feed the pigeons some clay. Turn the night into day. And start talking again when you know what to say. Going down to the Greyhound station, gonna buy a ticket to ride. I'm gonna find that lady with two or three kids and sit down by her side. A ride till the sun comes up and down around about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat, sing my song for the people to meet and get along with it all. Where the people say y'all Feed the pigeons some clay Turn the night into day And start talking again When you know what to say As a New Yorker, uh, I had a crisis maybe every other month about wanting to leave New York. Cinematographer Ed Lockman would tell me, the key to living in New York is travel often. And that's true and false, unfortunately. A couple of months ago, I wanted to chat with today's guest about really any manner of things. He was about to go on the road, and I thought, oh, that's cool, because we have a lot of guests 
who were not from the U.S. talking about touring in the U.S. and how they see the U.S. So I thought it'd be cool to flip that around and talk to uh, a native North American about traveling. Um, so let's do it. He recently was in Poland, Germany, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, the U.K., and I want to talk to him a little bit about his travels and his impressions. Please welcome to Murmur, uh, Mr. Phil Elverum. Phil, welcome to the show, man. Hello. Hey, Phil. How are you, man? Nice to meet you. Hi. Thank you. Hello. Hey. Uh, so what do you think about uh, that maxim before we talk about your travels, the idea balancing home and movement? Is that a recipe for sanity or is that sort of chasing your own tail a little bit? Has that been part of your life to, to balance stasis and movement? Yeah, I'm surprised when you said that quote. I hadn't heard it before, and it, but I've said it a lot of times <laughs> about my own place. And it, so it's funny to hear it about New York because I always thought that it applied to my life. I live in a small town, Anacortes, Washington, and I always have said that the key to living here is to leave a lot. And so to... But I said it because I thought that to live in a place like New York, that wouldn't be necessary. That, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know. Like, I do know. So I yeah. guess maybe everywhere you just have to leave a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I always think that Lou Reed once said, um, I've been trying to leave New York for 40 years. You know, it's a, weird, uh -huh. it's a weird thing. I was reading a little bit about how you talked about in high school, a lot of the ethos was to leave. You know, your, your compatriots, like your high school chums. They couldn't wait yeah. to leave. And is it a function of a, I mean, you've always been seemingly like someone who's wanted to stay in Anacortes and, and the Northwest Corridor, so to say. Has that strengthened in time or reversed in time? Have you, have you fortified your wanting to buoy yourself there or have you gotten more wanderlusty as you've gotten older? Uh, I've always been really wanderlusty, but that's different than what the word home means. And, and so no matter no matter how much I'm motivated to travel, I probably am always going to need to also have a home or an idea of where I live. There was a time when I was 24 where I thought I was going to move to Norway. I had never been there before, but I decided that was what I was going to do. Decided I was just going to make it be home for me. And so I went there and took a few months of being there to realize it just didn't feel like home and that, in fact, the place I grew up, where actually I have like many generations of family, I just can't get out of it. That's what home is. You don't maybe get to pick what where that feeling is for you. You were in Norway. I want to get to that a little bit. The first uh, living there, how far north were you? Where where were you? What town? A place called Sharingai, which was north of the nearest city. It was called Buda, B-O-D-E. Oh. Um, it's really <laughs> far north, north of the Arctic Circle. Wow. So... Yeah, it's as far as the train goes. That's how I ended up there. I had a train pass, and it's as far as I could get. And then there was a punk kid there who set up a show for me and let me stay in his house until I found my own place. What was the light situation there? I remember I, I was in Stockholm in the summer, and it was like 11 p.m. and still sunlight, which I thought was actually yeah. really cool and liberating. But how did light work for and against? I mean, this could be a whole conversation in and of itself. but Yeah, for sure. It was a very distinct feeling. It was dark. It was midwinter. <clears throat> so it was, it was like being asleep for many months, and everyone kind of walks around like a zombie. People there are used to it, but they probably sleep a lot more and are more depressed that time of year. On top of that, though, 
they're the northern lights up that far north. So the like aurora was in the sky just constantly. Amazing. It was amazing. It's yeah. magical. Yeah. But yeah. also like so magical and so constant that it kind of wore off. Like you just got used to it, which was weird. But yeah, it's just dark. It's just dark the whole time. There's kind of a twilight in the middle of the day. And then it gets dark again for 20 hours. Is that all? Uh, you know, it's funny, but again, it, it bounces back to that idea. Even something is naturally beautiful. You almost have to leave to replug into it. Yeah. No matter what it is, it can be a natural wonder or the seventh wonder or New York City. And I know it's cliche, but absence, there's something about that. Um, speaking yeah. with Phil Elverham, I was thinking about something Martin Scorsese said. Uh, I think it was after Mean Streets or maybe after Taxi Driver that he was given the opportunity to leave the U.S. and live in Italy. And he took it because it was always, quote unquote, a dream of his to live in Italy as a, a man of Sicilian heritage. And he said something really interesting I want to get your reflections on. He said, you know, living in Italy, I realized I'm not an Italian filmmaker. I'm an American filmmaker. You know, I, I, I'm an American filmmaker now living in Italy. Does that resonate with you in the sense of, you know, was living in Norway, did that reconnect you with the premise of you being a North American, American? Again, was that fortification for that concept? Totally. Did, did it make you question it? No, it was fortification. And I maybe it already had a hunch of that, but in, it was 2002 and 2003. So like the buildup to the Iraq invasion or uh, Af the, the, yeah iraq so, afghanistan was already going so bush too was there obviously yeah george w bush it was not a good time to be an american abroad uh and it just it wasn't uncomfortable to to think of myself as an american so to find to find in what way i could identify with what that is yeah. was good and so also this idea of norway i had was very much a caricature of like somebody wearing leather britches in the fjords and yodeling and whittling and beautiful wooden boats and moss and then to get there and there's like a dude with bleached hair smelling like cologne slamming a huge family-sized bag of skittles well there go my next six questions dude it's funny again i was thinking about lars von trier you know he makes movies about america and he's never been here and in a way i actually i got to ask him a skype question once about that and he i asked him would that be interesting to see someone who who wasn't from denmark make a movie about denmark and he said i think that would be amazing so there is that thing about the outsider and actually kafka i don't know if you've read his book america um no. america with a k and he'd never been to america and he wrote this book about an immigrant traveling to America and what he would see. And the first image is actually the Statue of Liberty with a sword pointing down uh -huh. versus a torch pointing up. Uh -huh. um, so there is this interesting thing about the outsider. Traveling abroad at that time, because this will get us into traveling abroad now, were you concerned about being an American abroad? Were you ashamed? Uh, did, you ashamed. Say, did you say I'm from Canada? People do that. No, I that. do that. <laughs> yeah, they I, do. I was fine with standing up for myself. Because I knew I was so clearly just some weirdo. Uh, <laughs> and people are intelligent and nuanced. And actually, I realized that at that time, it was really kind of maybe the most important thing I could do is to go around the world as an American and be like, be an example of not the cartoon of what people might think right. if they don't right. actually encounter America Americans and just be like, look, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm intelligent and I'm I'm curious about your culture and place and yeah, you know this, 
it's kind of gossipy, but there's a, a anecdote about this. There, during that winter at Christmas, I got a big care package from my family, and one of the gifts in there was from my dad, and it was a book called The Last American Man by Elizabeth Gilbert. It, it was a biography of this guy, sort of a back-to-the-land guy in North Carolina, used Dis Conway, just a, like a wild man kind of guy, contemporary. And it really touched me because it was a lot about what my life was like then. I was living in this cabin and, you know, gathering firewood and stuff. And so I wrote a letter to her because I was just sitting there in the dark all, all day. So I wrote a letter to the author, Elizabeth Gilbert, and then she emailed me back like a month or so later. And we corresponded about this because she was contemplating, should I, my life is kind of falling apart. Should I go on this trip to India and Southeast Asia? I don't know. I'm an American. This is all the stuff we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then, and she did, and we talked about it. And then she wrote this book, Eat, Pray, Love, about it, which it, it became so huge. And I guess a movie, I haven't read it or seen it. She's like a famous author now. But it was just really interesting to be like in this correspondence with her when she at the stage, because that's what the book is about. I guess is about this trip that she went on that we were talking about. Anyways, do, do you do you believe in geographic cures for things? People wanting to reboot their life, people wanting to leave, and probably used to, but I don't anymore. I, the older I get, the less weight I place on location. I think we all just travel around with our own, my wife used to say, our own bag of hammers. <laughs> what an amazing quote. <laughs> I love that. It's hard to get I, those through customs. It's hard. <laughs> French Canadian, I think. Quebec born, right? Yep, that's uh, right. Genevieve. Then let's take the sub part of that. What's the difference between running away from something and seeking something? Because a lot of people will say, oh, I'm, I'm seeking something, and their friends will say they're running away from something. Yeah. Par do you parse it in that way? Those two things are probably embedded in each other all the time. Maybe that's like a kind of a Chinese way of thinking about it, or you know, a, a Taoist way. But they're different. They're, they're subtly different. I think one is motivational and one is fear. One is aspirational and one is about fear, but mm. I don't know, maybe the answer is to just not not try and escape, just focus on the present moment. Oh, that's tough. This idea of staying in the present is such a, it's a hornet's nest. It's, um, <laughs> I was speaking with Phil Elverham. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your recent uh, journeying. Um, I was thinking of the word tour. You know, it's, it's an interesting word, you know, musicians go on tour. And, but they tell us not to be a tourist. It seems like, like you know, there's a downside to being a tourist or there's an insult, there's a pejorative to being a tourist, yet musicians go on tour. But where you were, tell, us, tell me a little bit recently, where were you as we started corresponding where you went, just in terms of a roll call? Yeah, we flew to Berlin and rented a van there and drove around not very many places because I'm touring with my two-year-old daughter, so I can't drive very far each day. But yeah, we went to Poland and Berlin, Copenhagen, Netherlands, uh, two shows in Belgium, five shows in the UK, five shows in Norway at the end. And then we flew home like 10 days ago. Did you go back towards where you were in Norway or did you stay closer to Oslo? Or Yeah, in, in the south of Norway mostly, just in the southern southern coast and from Oslo to Bergen. Buda and the north, I mean, I could get a show there if I wanted, but... I'm a little bit more fussy these days about the types of shows I book because the songs I'm singing are so delicate. Yeah. 
So I end up only really playing in bigger cities where I can fill a, a nicer, beautiful room. It sounds like you're curating your tours. Again, For sure. Does the public understate or overstate how much thought goes into where you go? Do musicians tend to sort of go where they're told to go? Is that still the modus operandi? I don't know. I don't know how other people do it. I, I do get the impression that I do it differently than other people. Thank goodness. Because I've, yeah. Thank goodness. I just have a booking agent this year for the first time in my life, and I've been doing it for 20 years. So <laughs> I, I don't think, and you know, that's been by choice. I have enjoyed booking my own tours and being really hands-on yeah. with the touring and with the way I run the label and just everything. But I think that's not common. And so it, part of that has been that I've developed into a person who's really fussy and in tune with where I'm going and what it's going to be like. Where So yeah, maybe younger bands that come up in a, in a way where people are just doing things for them, they get signed, and then they have all these different agents working on their behalf. They don't think about it as much, and maybe they don't care about it as much. What was the general sense of conversation when you were on the road? I mean, you know, I always joke that people assume everyone in the U.S. owns a gun and that it's really dangerous, and, you know, obviously Trump is probably a subject well, on some level. What was what were the subject, what kind of subject? I mean, it's hard to generalize, but I'm asking you to, I guess. About America? Yeah. Pretty much none. I mean, part of that is there was this other, like, overhanging subject whenever I was talking to people. And, and mostly when I was talking to people, it was, at, like, at the merch table at my show. Right. I wasn't talking to strangers that much. <laughs> if we talked about anything, it was about death and mortality and and my songs, not so much about me being an American. That almost seemed like geopolitical issues seemed <laughs> insignificant, I guess, in the in the context of what else I was singing about. Being on the road, I wonder how social is it? I mean, I mean there's two parts to it. There's an, the emotional willingness to want to socialize, and maybe that's the first question. Do you find yourself predisposed to socialize now or not? And temporally, with a child you know, on a tour, are you able to? So what about the social quotient? Yeah, it's a very weird version of socializing tour. It's a very strange version of human existence because it's new people every day. And for me, yeah, it's always under the shadow of merch table, songs, hierarchy, discrepancies. Where I'm, it's really kind of a polluted way of having a human interaction. But so I do want to because I live in this small town and I leave and travel around the world. It's my one opportunity to socialize. <laughs> but, but but again, it's like a very weird version of socializing. So and then in terms of touring with a toddler, that is an even weirder version of touring because, yeah, most bands don't have a toddler in them. But so we end up going to a lot of playgrounds and swimming pools and. We socialize with other toddlers and their parents, uh, <laughs> which good. is pretty much like being home. That's what it's like being home. <laughs> right. Is she your opening act, too? Is that part of the, uh -huh. the maturation? I mean, she would. She's really uh, sings constantly and is a major performer, but I have to like boycott her from the shows because I just wouldn't be able to do it if she was anywhere near. So she, I have a nanny that comes, and they stay in a hotel, and... 
they don't even come to the show. Keep her away from the tambourine. That seems to be a gateway drug for a lot of toddlers. I was speaking yeah. of Phil Elver. She plays drums already. I'm sure she does. I know, you know, when I travel, I'm always conscious in a, in a level of preparation. Like if I'm going to Barcelona, I want to make sure Rufus Wainwright's Barcelona is on my iPad, you know, whatever it is. Like, I, do you put yourself in a different mindset? Like, what do you listen to when you travel? I used to be really into listening to local music. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if I was driving through the South, I would be listening to old, you know, Folkways recordings from the South and just like really get into the, but I, I haven't done it that way. I pretty much just listen to Shuffle and like <laughs> let the shuffle gods of fate decide what we listen to uh we blasted the cranberries driving through scotland they're irish but it was that good it's close, enough. Close, close enough well you know people think leave ullman is swedish she's norwegian actually she's norwegian yeah yeah do you speak other languages a little bit of french and norwegian what is Norwegian like as a language? It's really bouncy and sounds really happy, even if you're in like a black metal band talking about <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the deepest sorrow. They're still like, <laughs> yes. American children aren't, I don't want to use predisposed, they're not programmed to be travelers, mm-hmm. I, I find. And it's funny because, you know, your daughter's getting a really lovely introduction to that. I don't want to use, I'll use the word freedom or experience. Is that important as you think of her life? Uh, yeah. Where do you see the benefits for her growth as, or depth of a hum, as a human being connecting to travel and movement? The thing that I want for her the most as she grows into a person is curiosity. And to me, that's like the best trait a person can have. And, um, it seems like being all over the world and being exposed to all these things. And I talk about them constantly. Let, I'm just, my mouth doesn't stop moving when I'm traveling, explaining everything to her, answering her questions. I can see it happening. She's, she's super intelligent and she's super curious. And it's so gratifying to see, see that happening and to hear her ask questions like, are we going to go back to Brussels soon? Cause Tintin is from Belgium. Oh, Are we like, Knowing she's two, she's two, and so, yeah, to to see this curiosity unfolding in her, and to see her putting these pieces together that are related to all these places, um, it's very gratifying. And it's lovely to hear you talk about Tintin because I know Genevieve was a Tintin connoisseur. Um, yeah. Does does your daughter have you made that connect those connections for her, or yeah, you, yeah. Um, she's really into him it, it, it's a little advanced for her like I have to skip over the parts where there's like gunfights and yeah. car accidents yeah and yeah. but yeah she's into the characters did your daughter like the peeing uh, statue what is that thing in Brussels <laughs> we did see that but we kind of just walked past it <laughs> She was more into the Smurfs. Smurfs stores there. Right, yeah. right. That's more speed. In, in just a couple more beats with Phil Elverum, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you, you, I've read you speak very eloquently about place, about a sense of place. That's an interesting concept to me. I'm always thinking about home 
what is, is there a difference between a home and a sense of place? I, I, I've read where you said, you know, Americans don't really have a sense of place, you know. And I, again, I root it back into how kids are raised. And also the, the efficiency of travel in this country is really difficult. Train travel is a fucking mess in this country. Very, you know, I just flew from North Carolina to northern Michigan. It cost me $700. I could have gone to Belgium twice. You know, yeah. I, I think our travel system is so out of whack, but be that as it may, what is more important? And or I guess, is there a difference between home and sense of place? Yeah, I think there's a difference s- subtly. Maybe home is like a deeper sense of place, a sense of comfort and belonging. There, I mean, that's a whole field of academia that I haven't studied. I have a friend who went pretty deep in in that type of thing, and now he's a, like a cart- cartographer. A map maker, one of my favorite. Yeah ideas but also just the philosophy around it and how it interrelates with people human life and statistics and how how it all interacts i haven't studied that i just think about it a lot and or i used to more now i'm just i don't even know what i think about everything's been scrambled in my brain just trying to get by i was thinking about you and rebooting and i don't i'm speaking as if you're not here because i can't even conceive of your life uh, and I mean that as a, 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 like staring at the cosmos. You know, when I think of this these past few years for you, I, I think of a picture of, of the galaxy. I mean, what does one say? What does one think? But if we look at it as a very basic sense, what ha, has your gravity just do you have gravity now? I mean, before, you know, I'm think I'm talking to you about home and travel, but we should probably be talking about gravity. You know, <laughs> do you have a sense of gravity? Do you have a sense? of connection and your daughter I'm sure is a center of your universe and on some very profound level, but do you know where you are now? Yeah, I do. It's just, uh, less ambitious, less, uh, grand, less big, it's a smaller scale the way I think now it's very much like one, one thing at a time, just get through the days. It used to be more like, a lot more metaphorical, big picture thinking about like, yeah, the universe and <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to explain. I mean, a lot of that doesn't even have to do with Shumbiev dying. A lot of that, I think maybe happens when people have a child, they just are forced to focus down on the pragmatic realities of life. And they're like, we need to make macaroni right now. And we, you know, like nothing else. Code, code red. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that's part of it. Were, were you the antithesis of this before your life changed? The romanticism of living remotely and, you know, wanting your mail to come on donkey's back, you know, <laughs> which is the opposite of making macaroni and cheese. Um, <laughs> or maybe not. Um, not necessarily. Right. <laughs> were you, it's were, just like doing it, making macaroni in a beautiful place. <laughs> Well, the, 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 here's the first dumb question in this one of the final beats here. Did you want to have a child? When, did you think about having children when you were young? I mean, did you, did you fear that day? Because the, the child, like the marriage on some level, is is an anchor. I mean, the meaning one's you know decision to have a child. Were you worried about anchoring your life? No. No, I, I never really thought about it. I didn't grow up thinking, like, I need to do this. But when I met Shambiev, it was... For both of us, I think it was just no question. We we were ready. 
let's do this. Let's make a person together. Yeah. No, I wasn't afraid of it. I was ready. I, I, it was like a pleasant and comfortable anchor that we both wanted. You'd also mentioned where you and Genevieve had thought of relocating even further north. I had read near Dawson City, which is very close to Alaska, super close, yeah. Yukon, um, yeah. like Alexander Supertramp, um, uh, and the group Supertramp. No. Um, w- w- were you th- <laughs> and then you, know, you, you thought of the realities of having a child change that calibration as well, right? I mean, did... We, we, yeah, it wasn't realistic. We were only thinking about that type of stuff before she was pregnant. Once she got pregnant, we both knew that it would be potentially damaging to raise a child in a super isolated place. Mm. People do it. I mean, it could work out, but we both thought that it was important to expose a kid to like a, a wide spectrum of experiences and have them socialized and yeah, not isolate them first, the romance of the parents. There's a song on my record, it's called Ravens, where I talk about going to this place, Haida Gwaii, these islands off northern BC. Yeah. This was just before she was pregnant, or she may have been pregnant when we were there, who knows. But, and having this conversation, like, if you, we can't have a baby, because it just wasn't happening, then we might as well just move here. And then, of course, she was pregnant, so... I changed things. You spread her ashes there, Hadaguay, yeah. correct? What is it like there in Hadaguay? Similar to where I live here, it's just more extreme. It's it's like same same sort of components as here. It's in the same eco. What's the word? If states and nations were divided by where plants and watersheds are, then this would be in the same nation state as where I live now. It'd be on the northern end. So that there's madrona trees, salal, huckleberries, cedar, Douglas fir, bears, eagles, whales. Like it's in the same realm as me, but it's just like up there, it's more muscular. <laughs> the moss is like three feet thick and the trees are huge and it's a very beautiful place. And it's isolated and the native culture there, the Haida, is really healthy and strong and, and beautiful and it's yeah, it's, it's a very special place. I have some, my great aunt and uncle settled there in the 60s and sort of had their own back to the land. They weren't hippies at all, but they had a back to the land uh, romance. And Neil still lives up there in his 90s, chopping wood. It's a special place, but it's too romantic to raise a child there, I think. Just to round back a little bit, it's funny because the word tour to throw some really, you know, talk about priority shifting. I find my, my trivial, my trivium is even more trivial when I talk to you and I apologize, but I was thinking about the word tor and tor was a, the word comes from the old Greek and tor was a, an instrument used to draw a circle. It was like a, almost like a compass that had a stationary axis and, and you literally could draw a circle with it. So it's interesting, I'm, I'm criticizing this word tor but it's actually kind of a real, really romantic, artisanal background. Uh, what keeps you in the U.S.? What keeps you living here? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to answer because I do like it. I mean, not only the, the town and the people and the family history and stuff, but something subtle in the culture is, uh, is, is home for me, I guess. How do, you, I, how do you define home? I had, I had Will Oldham. I know someone that whose work you love a lot, and and I would 
probably consider it a mutual admiration. I asked Will how he defines home, and he said it's the people. How do you defi- yeah. how do you define home? That's a tough one. I I respect his answer, but I don't know if it would apply to me because I live. I have I have a lot of family here that I rely on, but I still don't know if I would say people. It's something more subtle, I guess. I something in the air. <laughs> The way the air feels when I walk out the door, um, the familiarity and the the light and the vibe. I, yeah, I remember distinctly. Like ten days ago, we flew from London back to Seattle, and getting off the airplane in Seattle, I could already feel like, ah, these these are my people. The people in the airport, the fellow travelers, they're all a little bit like slobs, walking around, kind of slouched with their huge clothes falling off them <laughs> and compared to being in Europe for the previous month and people are a little more composed and um, tighter, running a tighter ship. <laughs> you know, but being in Seattle, yeah. it was like a subtle slobbishness that felt comfortable and familiar to me. Do you get, ho- <laughs> do you get, do you get homesick? Yeah, a little bit. Not too much. I, I like traveling and I get into the momentum of doing my work, doing the job out there. I drive the van and I run the merch table and I, so I always, I just get carried along with the momentum of all those tasks. What I love about what you're saying about your home and reading about how you talk about home is it's mixed. And I love that because I think so often talk about romance, we romanticize home as being perfect or ro- or home as the ideal. But I, I, I've, I've read as many notes about you wanting to leave is wanting to stay. Is that a pretty accurate tally or do you think the staying slightly edges the wanting to leave? Well, it's all shifted in the past couple years because of my life. It used to be a certainty. This was home. We bought this house where I am right now. But then, yeah, Shandiev died. And, or even before she died, when she got cancer, it was like, nothing is certain. No, even including the sense of home and permanence. So the idea of leaving was back on the table, and um, and it still is. I mean, now I'm still in this zone where nothing is certain ever, anyone, anywhere for anyone, and I think that's true. Maybe it's not a mentally healthy way to go through life, but I think it's true. Well, then let, let me finish on the question I've actually been dying to ask you. How, how the fuck are you even able to talk? You know, I, I mean, I'm telling you, man, I've, I've, uh, I've never, I'm, I'm stunned at you, your, your language and your ability. I think you're, I don't know you and this is our first time connecting, but your bravery is redefined bravery to me. Um, well, if you had Skyped with me yesterday, it would have been a different picture. It, yeah, I, I have really difficult days for sure. So I don't know. I don't know how it works. Hey man, I think you're amazing, and and I mean that clinically. I do. Um, I'm just saying I, I don't have the benefit of the subjective, but I think you're awesome. Hey man, thank you. And and I know it sounds really fucking incomplete to say if I can ever be of service. If you want to bark at the moon, just you know whatever you need, let me know, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care, Phil. Be well. Bye. I want to thank Phil Elverum for being here with us today on Murmur really brave way of looking at the recent and the not so distant past with Phil. Every week you can hear us, me, us, we, 
murmurradio.com. Email me, murmurradio at gmail.com, M-U-R-M-U-R radio at gmail.com. Twitter, at MSFMurmur. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, download us, download us, eat us, drink us, sleep us, pray us, be happy. See ya.